wish I was half as awesome as Ryan thinks I am. Wow. Wow. Oh, man. All right, just go ahead and alienate my whole crowd. Who's seen Fight Club? <laughs> All right, yeah, pagans. You met me at an awkward time in my life, is all I'm trying to say, okay? That movie ends with that line, and that's me here tonight. i got to just be real, okay? I've been dreading this sermon since I scheduled myself to preach it six months ago. Dreading it. Just because this week is intense, and, and we're doing stuff all the time, and it's a lot, and, and I, I love preaching. I learned to preach at Evanston Bible Fellowship. John Bechtel taught me how to preach and has walked with me. Jason Lancaster has taught me how to preach, walked with me. And my first sermon was here, uh, and, and I love preaching, but when they picked the topics, uh, Dr. Ben, if you guys know Dr. Ben, um, he picked this great series where we were going to explore I am statements of Jesus, and I arbitrarily gave myself Wednesday night thinking I need a night off leading worship, which I do. Uh, but Bradley, man, what a beautiful musical set. Um, yeah, just so blessed by the team. Um, so anyway... So I, I get my assigned text for Wednesday, and it's, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you know me well, you know I have a morbid streak in me. I have the Black Parade on vinyl. I love, like, There Will Be Blood. It's like my favorite movie. I read dark books. I'm, I'm a little bit of a mess. Um, and so I was like, all right, this is going to be hard, but, like, God's going to get me through it. And then... And then it just has gotten harder and harder and more real and more real. And I got to tell you, I think it's an amazing passage. We're not going to get into lots of cool stuff that's in the chapter. We're going to try to stay real focused. Um, but I, I just want to let you know where I'm coming from tonight, okay? I'm going to do my best. I might shout. I might whisper. I could cry. I could laugh. I have no idea what's about to happen, okay? That's how I'm doing. Um, and if, you, if it's weird tonight in the morning, just pretend it didn't happen at 5.30 and just, you know, we'll, we'll let it go. All right. So welcome to Wednesday night of Prelude to Revival. Thank you to Dr. Ben for the fantastic opening sermon. I am the bread of life. I just needed that. It's like it went inside me and just gave me warmth. And then Lance just threw down, I am the good shepherd. And it's like I needed that. Jesus is the good shepherd. And then Ryan Silhavy, you know, hyphen, greatest introducer ever. He, last night, I am the light of the world. And I needed that. And so tonight, it's just like, I don't want to screw it up. It's like Mount Rushmore, and I'm like the guy taking the picture. And, and, and tomorrow, you get Job Hammond. Don't miss that. And then if you never heard Curtis Watson preach, make sure you're here Friday, okay? Yeah, the fire's coming. And I, I'm, just, I'm just hanging out with the big boys, you know? I got a seat at the table because I make the preaching schedule, you know, but otherwise I'm feeling a little, a little, you know, out of place with these, these giants of the faith, men I respect. Um, but it's great, right? And in the mornings we're doing the, the Acts 2 thing. They devoted themselves. It's, it's been great. Um, but here we are, and I have the chance to preach to you, I am the resurrection and the life. And I mentioned I have a weird fascination with death. Which, I, it's true, I don't know. I don't know why it is. But I, I was trying to trace it back in preparation for the sermon, and I realized that, you know, there, there were, there's an event in my life that was um, hard that I think, I think has contributed to this a little bit, okay? I was very young. Maybe you've had a similar experience, but you're sitting there around your loved ones, and, and the Lion King is on the screen, and everything's going fine. And then there's the hyena scene, and if you make it through that... 
You're still watching. Okay, this is going okay. It's going okay. And then Mufasa dies in Simba's arms. What? Like, what? (laughs) Spoiler alert. I'm like five, and I'm like, what just happened? My parents are like, oh, no. I'm like, mommy, why is he sleeping? Why isn't he waking up? Well, he's dead. What does that mean? Am I dead? Bad news, right? And I'm sure you've had this experience. Oh, and it's like, that was the worst part of the movie. It wasn't too weird, the whole circle of life, pagan theology, heresy thing, whatever, fine. And like, dancing monkeys, fine. But like, that is some dark stuff. Anyway, so even as a little kid, I had this feeling that like, people aren't supposed to die. It just, it just felt weird. It felt like wrong to me that Mufasa would die in Simba's arms or that Mufasa had to die at all. That seemed, it seemed weird to me as a kid. Um, I mean, heck, it, it's unnatural to say goodbye. <laughs> like, okay, if you've been around EBF a little while. Anybody's first time ever? Ever? Anybody? Okay, good. So you know what I'm talking about right now. You ready for this? Okay. So you've got, you come to EBF once or twice. You meet a couple or you meet a guy or a gal. They're really nice. You hang out a few times. You have dinner. And, you know, you're driving home from dinner and your spouse says to you, man, I think we're going to be really good friends. Transferred to the East Coast. Graduated. Go into California. Take a job in San Francisco. Deployed to the mission field in Africa. See you later. That was a great friendship, right? This happens all the time. You cycle through sets of best friends so many times you like start calling them the wrong names because you go to EBF and you get it. And so it's like you get so used to saying goodbye here, it's like you kind of become numb to it. But it's like super weird to say goodbye. Like that's not fun at all, right? It feels strange to say goodbye. And the reason saying goodbye is hard, whether like short term you went off to grad school at whatever genius college you went to, or more permanently because somebody's gone, it's it's because you weren't designed to end. That's the reason. That's the reason why it feels weird. See, we weren't we weren't supposed to say goodbye. We were never supposed to say goodbye to God in the garden. See, God made us good. And he put us in this lush garden and said, listen, everything you want. That thing's going to hurt you. Don't touch that, but everything else. And we're like, ooh, cactus, come here. Got to have that. And then what happens? We wreck the whole thing. And then what happens? We start saying goodbye, and we're saying goodbye all the time to our friends who move away and our loved ones who die, and it sucks. It's just really really hard. And it's because everything is broken, and the worst part is, it can't be like when I drop my coffee mug, and I'm like, Brittany! I'm like alone in the room, but I'm just like, you know, shouting. But it's, it's like, it's me, you know, I did this, like I dropped the coffee mug. And, and in the same way, in the same way, you know, we, we, we messed everything up in the garden. You know, we, we had a chance. We had, we had perfect fellowship. And, and, and we wrecked it. Because God designed us to live eternally. See, God, God is so like, affectionate toward us and he loves us so much that he wanted us just to be with him. But we went our own way. And, and you know, death, it's, it's like the great equalizer now, right? I mean, you can stave it off like for a few years. You like hit the gym, right? Or you eat some kale, 
whatever. And like maybe you get a decade back because you eat real clean or you buy back a month or two because you decide to stop smoking or lay off the beer, whatever. In the end, when the game is over, the pieces go back in the box. You know what I'm saying? That's it. And you can't like shop enough at Whole Foods or like get enough acupuncture or like do enough yoga or like read enough issues of the Atlantic to like stave off your death. It's coming. It's coming for all of us. And the hard, the hard thing is that each of us experiences death like in other people when we have the grief side. It's, it's like pretty different, you know? Like, like I've been going through a hard time and my wife is like caring for me so well. But she and I process things real differently. And so it's hard for us to talk about it because it's like so painful. And I need one set of things and she wants to give me another set of things. And that's hard. That's, and it's hard in our friend groups, right? Somebody's suffering and we don't know how to talk about it. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. I'm just going to, spoiler alert, only Jesus can raise our failing bodies from certain death to glorious life. Can I get an amen? I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, where people talk back to you, and I want you to talk back to me. I said, only Jesus can raise our failing bodies from certain death to glorious life. Thank you. Keep that up. It gets lonely later on in the sermon. So I named my sermon. I know it was supposed to be named, I Am the Resurrection and the Life. Don't tell Dr. Ben, but I changed it, okay? I named my sermon, Praise the Weeping God. Five responses to the death of Lazarus. Praise the weeping God. Five responses to the death of Lazarus. All right. All right. I'm going to read this passage to you, okay? You can stand up. Just stand up. This is the word of God. If God can come down word incarnate for us, we can stand up when we read his word tonight. Now, when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus, his friend, had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was. About two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary, it's Lazarus' siblings, to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here, is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly, go out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, and he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? 
They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Y'all sit down. All right, what do we have here? What do we have here? We have a really sad story. You read this whole chapter maybe another time in your life. You know there's a lot of really interesting details that precede this story. All kinds of questions about Jesus takes his time and he doesn't come right away. I mean, I know what that's like. I had to go to a funeral recently and it's not easy sometimes to get away, even for important things. I'm sympathetic to Jesus. But for tonight's sermon, we're going to focus in on this remarkable snapshot, okay? It's the time he spends with Jesus, okay? Remember, the name of this sermon is, is the Praise the Weeping God, Five Responses to the Death of Lazarus. We're going to work through these in order with the passage, okay? Seems reasonable. Start with the first reaction. This is Martha, okay? I'm going to read it again. You can stay seated this time. I'll play ball. We don't want to get all Catholic size up on you. All right. Verses 17 through 27. This is Martha's response. Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. There was some like mystical mumbo jumbo, like maybe the soul's going to hang out for three days. No, dead, totally dead. Stone cold Lazarus, gone. Gone. Four days, just in case you're wondering, like maybe, no, dead, right? Bethany was near Jerusalem, two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them and bring them covered dishes and casseroles and pray for them concerning their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I got to tell you, I really like Martha a lot. I really, I really respect Martha in this moment, okay? It's like something terrible has happened. And she is not happy. Her brother is dead. And she takes a fight right to Jesus. She's like, where's Jesus? He's in town. I'm going. And she goes to him and she says, if you'd been here, man, he wouldn't be gone. She goes after him. She hits him in verse 21. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And like, I respect that. Like, God can take it, you know? Like, when you're hurting, like, you can just run to him and be like, what is going on? I don't understand. I don't see what you're doing. You just waited too long. What were you doing? And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. She's like, well, I... I, I know, she, you know she's, he's, Jesus says he's going to rise again, and Martha's like, no, I know one day he's going to rise again. And then Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, you know? And I, I think that what she thinks is happening here is like Jesus is spiritualizing the pain, you know? It's like you do this to people in your ethos group probably, right? They're like hurting, and they're like confessing, like I'm having a hard time in my marriage. And you're like, hmm, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron. 
And they're like, I wish you would go away to another ethos group. Like, that's all I want. Like, that's all I want right now. I think she thinks that's what's happening. She says, whatever you ask from God, he's going to give you. And Jesus says, it's going to rise again. She's like, yeah, I get it. On the last day, resurrection, I get it. Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm the resurrection and the life. Me. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now that can't mean physically die, right? Because lots of people who believe in Jesus physically die. He says, do you believe this? She gets all spiritual on him. I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world. She goes after him. And, like, there's, there's this whole, like, you know, set of women's Christian books that are like, being a merry heart in a Martha world. No, be Martha. Go get him. Like, ask the hard question, you know? Like, he can take it. He can take it. I respect that woman right here. On International Women's Day, yeah, Martha, you get it, girl. Absolutely, yes. All right. That's right, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Thank you. She goes after God when she's hurting, which makes her a better woman than I am man, because I don't do this so well. I've been hurting people for a long time. And a lot of times, I don't have the guts to go to God and say, what is going on? I'm a little bit more like Mary, okay? A little more like Mary. We're going to keep reading this passage, okay? So after Martha had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and is calling for you. Stop. Okay. Martha, bold woman of faith in this moment, goes back to her sister, who's in a weaker moment, says, Jesus is calling for you right now. You doing that for people who are hurting? They don't need your over-spiritualization. They need to know Jesus is calling for you right now. He wants to have a conversation with you, okay? And Mary heard it. She rose quickly and went to him. Because where had she been? She'd been hiding. She'd been laying low. See, Mary's suffering, Mary's heartache, Mary's pain, Mary's grief over her dead brother. What did it do? It put her right in the cave. She just buried herself right there. And you know what that feels like? You lose someone you love. You know, you close the box, you lower them in. And all of a sudden, it's like food doesn't taste right anymore, and the world is like a little bit black and white. And like everything hurts, but you're not sure why, and it's hard to get out of bed. Like, I'm with Mary. That's how I'm feeling. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to talk to Jesus right now. Because that guy, let's see what she says. Jesus had not yet come into the village, still in the place Martha met him. The Jews who are with Mary in the house, consoling her. They see Mary rise quickly and go out. They follow her. Guess she's going to go weep at the tomb. 
When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, so when she comes out of her grief cave and sees Jesus, what does she do? She falls at his feet. She is heartbroken. He says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus is so amazing because what he knows that we don't often know is that people who are hurting need different things. Martha needed to really process, like, how can this be and what's going on? And, like, I need to know that God is good here. And what does Jesus say to Mary? Let's see. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? He said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So, you know, sometimes, yeah, they need, they need good advice in the right direction, and sometimes they just need you to cry with them. They just need you to buy them a coffee or buy them a beer and sit across the table and cry with them, and that's okay too, okay? You don't have to over-spiritualize it. Jesus gives Mary what she needs, and it took someone like Martha to go to Mary and say, you know what? got to get out of this cave. You can't do this anymore. You can't do this. we got to go to Jesus. we got to do this. See, though we each suffer differently, in the midst of all of our pain, we tend to ask God the same question. Where are you? Or if something bad happened, where were you? It's like Job. Everything is going wrong. He's like, where were you? After everything we've been through, Mary and Martha say, how could you let this happen? Don't you know how faithful we've been? Don't you know that we work in ministry? Don't you know that we volunteer in kids' church? Don't you know that we serve on the worship team? Don't you know that we're faithful in our private lives? Where were you? There's this movie I really like. It's called The Tree of Life. And Terrence Malick in this movie tells a nonlinear story about love and family and loss. And the film begins with just a quote from the book of Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of heaven and the earth, right? And then throughout this movie, it's all nonlinear, so I'm not spoiling anything, Brady, don't worry. Um, these different vignettes happen in the life of this family. Like, it opens with a very, like, the opening scene is like a knock on the door and one of the brothers who's grown has died. And that's the first thing you see, so I didn't spoil it for you. But there's this really powerful scene later when it's looking back in their lives. Growing up, they're at the pool swimming together. And a little boy drowns at this pool. And then you hear this whispered voice over the film, and all it says is, where were you? And I don't know if it's the little boy protagonist asking God, where were you? Or if it's God knowing the pain in the little boy's heart and saying, listen, listen, like where were you when I made the heavens and the earth? You've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. And I don't know. I don't know. But I know that pain leads us to do stupid things, okay? So I'm a runner. Less running now than when I wasn't a doctoral student, but still running. And there's this idea that if you run with great form, you're not going to get hurt. Um, but what happens is sometimes when you run for a really long time, 
something starts to hurt, right? So like maybe your knee starts to ache or your ankle gets tight, your back freaks out. And every running coach will tell you, if you keep good form, you will not hurt yourself. But what do we do? We accommodate the pain. We start to do stupid stuff. You start to think, maybe I just have to hit my heel a little harder. Maybe I have to turn my... And as soon as you start adjusting your form, it's over. It's too late. And when we feel pain, when we're hurting, we tend to start adjusting our form. We tend to be like Mary. It's like oil, anointing Jesus, anointing Jesus. I'm hiding out. I can't, I can't look at that guy. And maybe your pain has led you to do some stupid stuff. Like maybe tonight you're like, man, I am in some messed up stuff right now. Like if you knew, and all I'm saying to you is like, some brave men have gotten on the stage this week for testimonies and told you some pretty messed up stuff they've been through and they've talked about the healing power of Jesus Christ. The Jesus who looks you in the face and says, listen, I'm going to give you life. Like, I am the life. And this pain is what causes the crowd in verse 37 to say what they say. The crowd says, look at the passage. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Like, what? They're saying, well, you know, we've seen Jesus, like, give sight to blind people. Seems like a big deal. Surely Jesus could have stopped the man from dying. And, I mean, they're right, aren't they? Yeah, they're right. But this is coming from a different place. When I read this, I think about the millennials, right? I think about the generation that I'm, I'm a part of, the generation that hides behind their keyboard and, and, and is, we love sarcasm and everything is ironic and it's, nothing is exciting. Everything is like, oh, that didn't suck. That wasn't terrible. That was okay. It's like, oh, how was the Grand Canyon? Yeah, it was pretty deep. You know, it's like that. But what I see when I look at my generation is a generation of people so wounded and hurting so deeply that, like, we're just scared to get connected to anything. We look at the world we've inherited. It's a mess. Everyone's like, oh, you need to get up and do something. We're like, with what? What's left? This place is a mess. And it hurts. And listen, I'm with you. Like, I feel the pain. But we don't want to be like the crowd here, just throwing darts at Jesus, being like, well, that guy healed a blind man. He couldn't even keep your buddy from dying. What kind of God is that? And like, this is the source of so much doubt, right? This is the great question, the problem of pain. How could a good God let bad things happen? And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not going to change my form. I'm not changing my form. Because as soon as I do that, I'm going down for the count. And ladies and gentlemen, I have been down for the count for a long time now. See, because my generation, I think we're lonely. We're so connected to each other. But we're scared to sit across the table from someone and say, with no disintermediation, I guess no intermediation, say, with disintermediation. It's been a long week. To say... Yeah, I'm a mess. That's why I love my ethos community. That's why Ryan Salhavi was a great ethos leader for me. That's why Virgil Hughes is a great ethos leader for me now. They sent me down. They're like, dude, you are not doing well. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I'm not. They're the Martha to my Mary. And I need that. 
Because we're seeing Martha, who goes after God, but still says to him, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. Which, yes, is a statement of faith, right? She knows that Jesus is the Christ. She says so. But like, come on, can we be okay with the fact that someone with deep faith also suffers deeply? Like, can we just say tonight that it's okay if it hurts? And like, it's okay if it doesn't seem like it's getting any better? And like, it's okay if you wake up in the morning and you're not sure you can put your feet on the floor. That's all right. It's not sin to hurt. But it is sin to let that hurt make us walk in foolishness. Jesus himself is weeping in this passage. And I just, I, just, I just reject the idea this is only a statement of faith. Like, oh, well, I know theologically, Lord, that if you had been here, you could have intervened and perhaps given Lazarus a little more time. I reject that, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, I call baloney on that. Don't act like you're not proud of me. Um, so we've seen Martha... The angry outburst, running to Jesus, interacting with him. We've seen Mary, who's like me, maybe like some of you, hiding out, just hoping this whole thing's going to blow over. We've seen the crowd standing back, throwing stones, not getting close enough. But I'm really interested. Remember I said this is five responses, right? I'm really interested in Jesus' response to the death of Lazarus. Check this out. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who'd come in with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You greatly troubled tonight? You're not sinning. It's okay. It's okay. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? I got to see him. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept and the Jews said, see how he Loved him. Jesus is no stranger to anguish. Theologian Wayne Grudem says, when you encounter suffering and unanswered prayer, you join good company. The company of Jesus, Paul, Moses, who is my hero in the faith. Moses, who stands in front of the burning bush And God says, you're going to do this thing. And Moses says, please send someone else. I love that guy. Oh, I know all my friends are like, I'm so sick of hearing about Moses. Oh, sorry, God. And I always tell them I'm going to die in the desert just like Moses. All the way to the promised land. And God's like, promised land. Moses is like, yes. He's like, well, (laughs) actually, you're going to die right here. Um, Whatever. Um, Just a hero. For me. I just love it. I love the person who looks at his life and says, I can't. I've done too much wrong. I can't. I'm not equipped. I can't. I don't know how. And then God says, you can. And John Bechtel says, let me teach you how to preach. And Jason Lancaster says, I believe in you. And Jerry Bogad says to everybody, give the kid in skinny jeans a few years and I think he's going to come around and be a really nice worship leader for us. Yeah. Can I get an amen for Jerry Bogat? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So when you encounter pain, you're in good company with your suffering Savior. Jesus' response is to weep and to say, let me see him. I had an interesting experience recently. You know, tragedy brings people together, right? Tragedy brought Jesus, Mary, and Martha back together. 
had an experience recently, went home on short notice to bury one of my best friends. And I missed the night before the viewing service. This is going to get real morbid, but I'm just going to shoot straight because it's revival week. Whatever. I legit FaceTimed in to the viewing to see my friend's lifeless body. Just like, I said, show me where he's laid. I got to see it with my own eyes or I can't believe it that he's gone. So sudden, so young. Maybe like Lazarus. And it's pretty messed up when you start writing your sermon on this passage and you find yourself, for the first time ever, I think, in Scripture, in Jesus' shoes. And by God's grace, at the funeral service, where I was able to sing and speak well of my friend, I did get a chance to spend a few moments with him and his body. And it was really beautiful, and it was really sad. And I kid you not, I got to the military funeral, and the chaplain preached Psalm 23, life verse, and John 11. So you just can't make this stuff up. Whatever, Lord, you win. Here I am. So Jesus is weeping over Lazarus. But I want to submit to you that it's more than that. That for Jesus, Lazarus' death, it just breaks him. But what it also does is it kind of like opens the floodgates. And Jesus is weeping because of what we did in the garden. Anybody have kids? You ever see them hurt themselves? When you told them, you said, just don't do that. And they do it anyway. That hurts. And Jesus is weeping because we broke everything. And Jesus is weeping because he's going to resurrect Lazarus. And then Lazarus is going to die again. He's weeping because everything has gone wrong. This is not what we set out to do. He's like, Lord, this was not the plan. The plan was we were all going to be together. And in my case, last weekend at dinner, there were four of us who were like brothers, and there was an empty chair at every table we sat at the whole evening. And there's an empty chair at Jesus' table. See, Jesus loved Lazarus, and he loved Mary and Martha, and he hated watching his friends suffer. And I think Jesus' response is a good beginning for how we should respond. It's okay to weep when it hurts. It's okay to acknowledge that it's hard. It's okay to say, I don't know why that happened. It's okay. One day you will. One day. Because there are empty chairs at the tables here, but one day in the presence of Christ at the wedding supper of the Lamb, every seat is filled up. And we're going to finally get the chance to talk with God about what is going on. I said I titled this sermon, Praise the Weeping God. Five responses to death. We had Martha aggressively pursuing God. Mary hiding away, the crowd mocking from a distance, Jesus weeping over his friend. I'm not a doctoral student in math, but I know that's only four. Okay? I know. I think the fifth response to death is a response that only Jesus could have. And that is to do something about it. 
See, when Jesus, who is part of God, weeps, God the Father weeps, right? He's weeping over us. But our God is so faithful. When God weeps, the tears fall from heaven in the form of a tiny baby who was born as God sends his own son to be born in humble conditions in a manger and then to grow up, to get teased at preschool and swing a hammer and probably have crushes on girls and without lusting, you know, but to, to become a man who's then going to have basically all of his friends abandon him at the cross. I mean, think about Thomas. Love Thomas. Thomas, earlier in this chapter, says, let's go with Jesus so we can die with him. And then when Christ is crucified, Thomas is crushed. He was all in, sold out. Let's get you on the throne, Jesus. I'm with you. And then when Jesus died, Thomas was crushed. But see, God's tears fell to earth And Christ came and was born. And Christ, fully God, fully man, lived an obedient life. Perfect. Perfect, sinless life. Nobody could have anything on him. Somebody would be like, I saw Jesus do this. Everyone else would be like, nah, dude. Pharisees are like, yeah, he hangs out with, like, drunk people. Okay, great. They got nothing on him. I I saw this television episode as a child from some TV show. I don't even know if it existed. I might be making it up. I think the show was called Even Stevens, Disney Channel something. I, guys, weird memories in my life, right? In this, in this episode, I remember, I only remember one episode, brother and sister trying to embarrass each other. And the brother does all kinds of stupid stuff. Sister has like hours of footage trying to choose from, which embarrassing thing to do. His only embarrassing footage is that she doesn't brush her teeth in circles. She scrubs left to right because she's so like perfect, you know? Kind of like Jesus. We're like, yeah, but he doesn't brush in circles. He left right. Yeah, perfect life, right? Not only that, he walks all the way to the cross obediently and lays his life down. You know, everything has gone wrong, but God has made a way to make everything right. See, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, He means that only He can resurrect our sorry, sorry souls from death, both eternally, like in the last days, and also now. See, He says, I am the resurrection, which means if you trust in Christ, if you go to our God in prayer and say, I screwed up, I get it, I messed up. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not today, hopefully, for you. Unless he comes back, and then definitely, hopefully. (laughs) But Christ says, I'm the life. You ever done something awesome and been like, man, this is the life? You know, you're like sitting in a hammock, you know? You're like, you know, at your favorite pub. You're just like with your buddies. Like, this is the life, man. This is great. You know, you and your spouse are on a trip. You're with your kids. You're snuggling Christmas morning. This is the life. The best moments here are but fractured glimmers of what we can have in Christ. See, Christ wants to start the process of getting this whole thing worked out right now. 
He's like, yes, then, but also then. Right now. All this, this is where we are. Remember how we talked about the garden, death entering? But now we look forward to the city. And we won't even need this sweet hipster light bulb. Because Christ himself will give us light. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I came that they may have what? I'm sorry, what? Thank you, and have it abundantly. And you know what? He talks a big game. And then he backs it up. There's so many verses to choose from. I picked one of my favorites. I found the snarky hipster angel in the Bible. I like him a lot. <laughs> so... They're all frightened. After the crucifixion, they bury Jesus, seal it off. They're going to the tomb, right? Luke 24, 5, I think is so funny. So after Jesus' bloody crucifixion, his friends go looking for him in the tomb. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Love that. A little sarcasm in the Bible. It's so funny. It's so great. The angels are like, yeah, come on. He told you over and over. And I get it, like the disciples couldn't figure it out and neither would we. Fair, right? But, you know, it's a great moment, I think, in Scripture. See, because Jesus talked a big game. And if he wasn't the Son of God, the dude was a lunatic and you have no business worshiping him. I heard Pastor Jason say in a sermon early in my time at EBF, 2010, shared about this interview he read with a scientist who was also a Christian. And they asked him, they said, if they found Jesus' bones, would that shake your faith? The guy said, absolutely not. My faith is unshakable. And Jason said, that guy's a fool. Because we're saying it happened. I get it. Jesus is a great example. I get it. I get it. He was a great empowerer of women. I get it. Jesus cared for widows and orphans. I I get it. Jesus loved and taught children. Jesus hung out with people who needed to be hung out with. I, I get it. He was a great teacher and leader and mentor and friend and guide. But if he didn't raise from death, he was a lunatic. And walk away. Save the time. Do what you want. Because when the game's over, the pieces go back in the box and that's where you're staying. Unless... Jesus Christ, who said, I and the Father are one, was telling the truth. And if that's the case, push all the chips in. Sell everything you own and follow him. Lay your life down for him. Because if he is who he said he was, you'd be a lunatic not to follow him. If fully God, fully man, hypostatic union comes into the world, lives a perfect life, and dies because he loves us, and is then triumphantly raised from death, empty tomb. I think you got to follow that guy. See, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. He's the only hope. 
You can roll the clock back a few years, sure. But it's coming for you, for each of us, death. Just like it came for Lazarus. And Mary and Martha are heartbroken. And they process that differently. And the crowd is scared and hurt, and they process that differently. And Jesus is devastated, and he processes that differently. But the right response to death is hope. The right response to death is hope. Because Jesus Christ doesn't just weep. He puts his skin in the game. And Jesus is so compelled with affection for us, just like God, the Father, is compelled with affection for us, that he walked all the way to the cross. And he died, and he rose in victory back to life so that we could also share in the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the life. And so, yeah, it's okay to cry out to God and say, where were you? It's okay to say, if you'd been here, I don't think this really hard thing would have happened. I think that's all right. I think it's okay to not really have any words except show me the body like Jesus. Because only Jesus can raise our failing bodies from certain death to glorious life. So you've seen some options here, how to respond to death. How are you going to respond? When you look in your heart, you know. There's some achy stuff in there. There's some deadness. There's some death in there. What's your response going to be? Are you going to trust in the weeping God who is by your side? Are you going to trust in Jesus Christ who, for you, because he was overwhelmed with love and affection for you, laid his life down? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. God says, because I'm here, I'm sending your brother Jesus to die for you. Let's pray. Lord, it's hard sometimes to know what to do. See, things are just messed up, and we look around, and we feel so hopeless. And we don't know what to do. And we don't know how to feel. We don't know how to make it through the day. Because everything is just broken. And we know that we broke it. And it's hard to live with that sometimes, God. But I know, I know that you're up there. And I know that you came down. And I know that as a Christian, you're within me in the Holy Spirit, my comforter. Lord, would you give us grace to believe in Jesus Christ, our triumphant, glorious, powerful, loving, weeping God, who did not leave us to our own devices. Would you give us the strength to put our roots in that so that when the wind blows and the storm comes and the rain and the hail, we don't blow all the way over, Lord. I thank you, God, that when we come to you like Martha, you can take it. I thank you, God, that when, like Mary, we hide out, you come looking for us. 
thank you, God, that even when we're standing off because we're so scared, we're just throwing rocks from a distance, you don't quit on us. I thank you that when all is said and done, your compassion for us has led you to make a way for us to have hope. God, help us believe that the right response to death can only be hope through Jesus Christ. And that in a world where Jesus Christ came and lived and then died and was raised, we can believe that just as our brother rose again, our brother will rise again. Amen.